Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so uh, I'm going to do the intro. If it's bad, you can just do it. We're just going to leave this as the intro. Hi, and welcome to uh, episode six of the Silverstein podcast. Shane is has quit the band, and it's me now, and I am running the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> what an intro. I'm like, I always do the intro. Could someone else do it? And look at you, throw me under the bus. Drag me under the bus, damn you. That's it. We're coining that as a turn of phrase. <laughs> right, right. Well, you heard the last episode where we talked about our song. What uh, song are we talking about today? We're going to do Live Like This. Original title. It's called... I don't know what it's called. I Don't Want to Die was the original title. Oh, yeah. That's right. That makes sense. That would have been intense. Well, but is it? Because like, it's good. Like You don't want to die. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't want to die. Live like this is kind of. I like live like this because it doesn't give away the meaning. You know, it's like you hear live like this. It's like, oh, okay. Like live like what? Like really like nicely? No, 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 no. Bad, bad living, bad living. It was a Paul I Kohler think, idea to change the title. I. Uh, it's a shame no, he's it was, not here. It was my idea. Really? I told him. Yeah. I came up with it first, and then he was like really into it. I specifically so. remember him walking into the studio because he was the only guy that didn't stay there. And he like showed up one morning full of energy, as he always is. Yeah. I was like, guys, I got an idea. I think it should be called Live Like This. Uh, we had we had discussed what? we had discussed, but so I'll have to, he's not here. Paul Paul's not here today to defend himself. We'll get to the bottom of this, but no, I I specifically remember that coming up with that because I was like, I don't want to die as a weird title. What should it be? And then I came up with that idea. Guys, we really could have just like leaned into this in like a um, uh, this is how the wind shifts sort of way with like the split. A side, B side tracks with like mm. misery. Our song "Misery" made me in misery, and I don't want to die. Live like this, die alone. Oh, I feel like there was a conversation of that that was like, do we have two songs with "die" in it? You know what I mean? Like on the same record. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but I mean, obviously, having a song called "Misery Made Me" and a song called "Misery" would have been kind of weird, right? Because we For definitely sure. did that, but then I think it was like, oh, can we call the song? Can we call the song Die Alone and also I Don't Want to Die? There's a lot of dying happening. We didn't want to die. A lot of dying. No, didn't want to die. 
Didn't want to die. But um, yeah, this song, I got to say, it's grown on me. I was not feeling it at first. Not feeling it. Not feeling it. Yeah, I had a feeling. That's, uh, yeah. It, it, there was a lot of things about it that I just are not my bag. I'm not really like a dancey guy. I don't really like like programming. There was a lot of the 90s note, I call it, which I tried to fight to get changed and lost. But in the demo, there's not as much 90s note, which is there's, really interesting. It's the exact same. No, nah, we're going to get to that later. There's a little less 90s note. But, um, but I, I got to say... The song definitely, uh, definitely came around for me. Paul Mark, can you share the uh, the review by our uh, good friend and former roommate Andrew Basso? <laughs> yeah, where's my phone? Oh, I think it's upstairs. Uh, yeah, I, I texted it to the group chat. I, think I might have it. <laughs> it might take me a second to find it. I'll, I'll scroll up and find it. I think it. he's referring to the '90s note that Shane's talking he about. He is 100%. Yeah. The 90s note. See, it's a thing. Well, he doesn't call it that. Some people love it. Some people are not as love with it. I, I first sent the text he sent me, and then he sent me it as if it was the title of a review, which is, I think, more concise. Andrew Bassa says, Alex is constantly snapping do-do-ka-ziga-diga-do-ka. Yeah, do you get that? Do-do-ka-ziga-ziga-do-ka. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, Do-do-ka-ziga-ziga-do-ka. It does have that beat, yes. Yes. And then he says, well, you say, that's got to be fun for you. Because he loves that, yeah. To which he replies with, I like that your new record has lots of ziga-diga. <laughs> and he adds, some really nice puddle of mud moves. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm not sure about the puddle of mud reference. He means uh, the '90s note that you're talking uh, about. Can okay, you? Okay. But then, didn't I include how he phrased it as a review title? Because it's really good. You said, "Ha ha ha!" This is a great review. No, no, but that's yes. a screenshot. But then I believe in the actual oh. group chat. I oh I, yes, he continues. I'm sorry, he continues. I was just thinking how this would read as a great review title, packed with. Zigadiga and some really nice puddle of mud moves. Silverstein delivers yet again with Misery Made Me. <laughs> Packed with Zigadiga. <laughs> Andrew's the best. But yeah, I knew this this song was going to be an uphill battle uh, with maybe everyone, but especially you. And because it's got a bunch of stuff that you don't tend to gravitate towards. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought it was a really cool song and it was. Definitely, you know, it was uh, to go back to the color coding. I think it was, it had to be green. Like it was a cool song, whether or not, because it didn't mean it was going to be on the record. It just meant we were going to record it. And I feel like we were definitely going to record it. And then if, you know, we didn't like it, we didn't like it. But I think that the green was more that it like didn't need as much work, that it was like kind of ready to go. Mm. Um, where the, it might have, I, I think it was still green, but it, the yellow was more like we want to record it, but it needs some it needs some massaging or something like we got to kind of work on this. It's a bit out there, you know, it's, it's sort of the extreme of the track. You should have, I wish I had the absolute original version. I did this song with uh, Lee Albrecht. I hope I'm saying his name right, but Lee and I did two songs together, this and Mm. don't wait up. And we worked together for about four or five days. And this song originally was like probably 20 BPM faster. It was like, it was like so fast. Because the demo is slower. Yeah. Because, well, probably enough. Probably because 
as I started coming up with what the vocal was, we had to keep slowing it down till right. it like made sense. Uh, and then it you know, can bring it back up to the right speed. But it was so fast. Uh, and it was kind of just like Lee asked me what kind of stuff was like, what's the new album feeling like? Like, how do we want to approach this? And I was like, no rules, man. Let's go. Like, whatever, whatever the vibe is that comes out of this, like, let's just see. And so this is what no rules looks like. And I like committing to that. And I think we could have watered it down and made it feel more guitar heavy or whatever. And maybe it would be cool. But it was sort of like, why do that? Like, mm-hmm. let's just, it's, it's, you know, maybe not your particular cup of tea in the first place, Shane, but uh, as you mm-hmm. say, it's grown on you. And uh, I think it's a very cool song. It's grown on me. It has like sort of a Linkin Park feel and it starts to me. Yes. Faint. Yeah. It, 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 it always felt like that. And I'm not a huge Linkin Park guy. I never have been. A lot of respect for the band, but as a fan, you know, not, not really. So that grabbed me right away and that just kind of threw me off. But I'll tell you right away why I was not going to just turn my back on the song completely is because I thought the line, I don't want to die, but I can't live like this was one of the most like, how do I say this? Just to the point, simplified way to say what we were going through in such a extreme way, but a really honest way. And to me, I was like, that has to stay. I don't care what, like, if the rest of the song is terrible, that line is so good that it, it, it makes maybe the entire record because it's, it's so important, I think, that that, 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 uh, that lyric. Yeah, that makes sense. And I didn't write it. It was Paul Mark's lyric, by the way. I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn. Uh, I thought that lyric was, was incredible. It definitely felt basically the most distilled version of what the whole record is sort of about, I guess. So, yeah, you are right. I do see. Yeah, it. but not distilled in a bad way, though. Like distilled in a really good way. Yeah, like it's sort of crystallized. Maybe is a nicer word. Okay. Yeah. I know we should be talking about that, but I want to go back to the Lincoln Park thing just for a second because when I said that originally the song was really, really, really fast, after like you know working on it for about a day, when it showed up the next day, and I was like, I think this should feel more like "Faint" by Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. That was like literally the reference that I had tempo wise. I think faint is actually a good deal slower than it still. Or maybe we slowed it down more. Anyway, they're not the same tempo, but it was 100% the vibe. I was like, I love that song. Like that's that's peak Linkin Park to me. Like I love it so much. And uh, I was really excited to do something like that, especially production wise in a way that like is not natural mm-hmm. to me to to produce and arrange a track like that. But Lee is very good at that. Uh, and that was the kind of the relationship we had where he was just like kind of going crazy with instrumentation. And I was just like scribbling down lyrics and melody stuff. I think of 20 BPM faster and that like almost like 90s, like jungle music or like the prodigy or something. I was That's just going to say like, yeah. like, like yeah, it <laughs> almost was. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> I remember Shane, you being like really, really against that part in the uh, in the studio too, like you you were just trying everything to like get it cut or get it to be less like less like techno or whatever and i know that um i'm not sure exactly how it panned out but i there's definitely like a combination of uh real drums and pads or whatever mm-hmm. so it is real drums uh yeah. in the demo which we'll eventually play you can hear it is completely sampled um and then i think cuz paul wasn't keen on it either and right. the compromise we made was 
either Paul actually played it and Sam really hard edited it so it sounded nearly fake, but it was live drums, or we actually took samples of all Paul's drums in the studio and uh, programmed, I'm doing scare quotes, like, or air quotes, Mm -hmm. like programmed the beat. But it's definitely the tones and sounds are the live room drum sounds from Jukasa Studios with Paul. He, he might have even played it on the like auxiliary kit we had as well too, just Ooh, to have yeah a little bit of a different sound because we had a second drum kit set up um, for this kind of stuff as well. So the breakbeat mm. kit or whatever. So I think it was maybe he might have done it on both kits and Sam fucked with it and put together something. Yeah, but it's such a weird song. The composition of it was one we I think really had to fight with. And, and wrestle with, maybe I'll say, because yeah. there is a ton of guitar in it. It doesn't sound like there is, but there is a pile of guitars. But all of them are doing something kind of unguitar like at least in like a traditional Silverstein sense. And finding, and even the drums too, like there's not really like a full kit of drums in like the normal way that we are used to hearing them in Silverstein songs until the chorus. Um, and it only happens in the chorus. And so trying to find a way to make the verses feel the verses to have enough like rock sensibility and enough rock tone and vibe without betraying what the actual song is supposed to sound like, you know, based on the original vision. It was extremely mm-hmm. hard. I think this is the hardest song we worked on. I think so too. I, I think it was probably the most stressed I felt about the record. And I think honestly, like when we talk about the sequencing, this track, this song being down it in the 11 spot, like, I think it's because a lot it scared it scared us a little bit at least scared me a little bit but I also you know to touch on the ending of it how we actually changed the key of misery to be in the same key as this song so we could have the songs connect which is actually really really sick you know that 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 worked out as well so the sequencing worked out but I think and we were honest on this podcast I think there a piece of me was like I don't know about this being like track three on the record and and it could have been, and it would have been fine. But for me, it was like a little bit, it definitely was spooky to me until pretty much the single came out. I think I was still a little, still a little bit even spooked about what, what, you know, maybe people were going to think about it. Shane, uh, you and I are like kind of the big uh, track list sequencing, like sticklers here. And I feel that I felt very strongly about this track being the penultimate track, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it mm-hmm. tied up the record in a really beautiful way that like presented misery as the closing track. Like I felt like it was just that it made that statement that you're talking about. That was like, this is where the, the record kind of comes to a head and then it closes out in um, this really nice sort of cascading way with uh, the, you know, misery being in primarily acoustic track and, um, closing off and you know fitting in with the title and all this stuff, but it, it it did feel like it had to be in that eleven spot for me. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it made a lot of sense with it. Um, Joe of of Nothing Nowhere does a great feature on this track too, and you know we kind of heard him on this pretty early on, and you know he's a bit of an enigma that guy, and and I wasn't sure if he was going to vibe with it. I know he's a big fan of our band, but. I remember we sent the song to his manager, Avange, who used to be our booking agent like 20 years ago, and she was blown away by how good this song was. And that was, you know, still like we were, we'd we'd finished it, you know, made the decisions on it to send it to them, but we hadn't obviously finished everything, hadn't been mixed yet, for example. 
And when she had that reaction and then Joe had that reaction, like, oh, yeah, he's like, I'm down for sure, 100%. It really made me feel better about the song, too, because these are completely external people just being like, this is an amazing song. So that was that was also kind of cool, too. External people who are longtime, you know, Silverstein fans or family, yeah. you know, so like I, yeah. that had to help. I, I mean, it's no secret that like I'm always trying to expand what you know what could be Silverstein like I'm I think I'm the least risk averse and a lot of that probably comes from me not starting the band uh so Mm -hmm. when you know when time comes to pull the trigger on something that might not feel like it fits in the Silverstein canon like I'm I'm always the one arguing to do it and I I I'm not saying that that's an the most important voice or I should be listened to but it, I think it is an important voice in the room to be the uh, one person who's extremely confident in a weird idea. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I've been wrong in the past, but I've also been <laughs> right in the past. So like, you know, for sure, yeah. I think just someone's got to push in one direction and you got to pull in the other and you just see what comes out. Totally. And to defend you, I think since we've started taking more risks of that nature, for the most part, they've paid off, you know, like they've been really cool and we've like creatively, we've enjoyed it and our fans have enjoyed it. And, you know, I think like there always has to be a little bit of like picking your spots and like, and I think we're all aware of that, but it's like, you know, we can be like aggressively different here and there in, in that our bands always had diversity in our music. We've never just been a hardcore band or a punk band or we're not either one of those. Like we've always done different shit. So it's like, okay, what's the new different shit we're going to do? And if we're feeling it and we're honest and we're honest about it, then what's the harm really? You know what I mean? Exactly, man. Like you say that it's like, it makes so much sense when you say like, we're, we've never been a hardcore band and never been a punk band. Like there's always been this sort of like breadth of different kind of disparate influence. Um, and just all, I think all we're doing now is expanding the source material we can draw inspiration from. And some of that happens to fall outside the immediate boundaries of like what you'd call the hardcore scene. But Mm -hmm. it still at the end of the day gets put through the Silverstein machine, which is the five of us and a producer, you know, trying to make sense of everything. And I think that's what makes it cool. And I think, as you say, it's as long as it's, you know, genuine and honest, that's, that's all the difference, right? Like, Live Like This is kind of a strange song in that, I mean, I love the song and I'm so happy it's on the record and I love actually where it is sequence wise, which normally I don't care about this kind of shit, as you guys know. I'm just like, whatever, just put them all in there. People shuffle it anyway, but I, <laughs> I think it is really good where it is. And that it is a song that, you know, doesn't heavily feature a guitar and it does have the 90s note, as you say, with some really nice puddle of mud moves and a lot of Zigga Digga. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know what song, like you say, okay, it reminds me of Linkin Park, I guess. But like, if you really, it doesn't sound anything like Linkin Park, right? And it doesn't sound anything like anything, which is interesting to me that it can feel, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it can make a lot of people feel a different, a lot of different ways and call a lot of different inspiration and influences to mind. But it's not like, we wouldn't just go like steal like something from someone, you know, it's like, no, it's a, I think a cool song with weird parts that. I'm very happy with it's the inspiration. Uh, sorry, not inspiration. What am I talking about? 
it's the instrumentation, right, that makes it different. And I think for a long time, the way that we grew up, you know, in punk and hardcore, um, we were very adverse to trying new instrumentation and different sonic, you know, uh, sounds. And something like a violin was cool because that's like a real instrument. So that was something we brought in early on into our band. But the idea of putting synths in our music, putting drum programming in our music, putting like shitloads of layers of vocals in our music, I think that that was always something that we were like, well, sick of it all wouldn't do it, and they're fucking awesome. Like, you know, we, we, we were just feeling like there were some rules that applied to us because of how we grew up or where we came from or whatever, but, like, no one gives a shit. So it's like once we were able to really let go, and the last two records, I think, for the most part, have done this, even the record before a little bit, it's like we've let go of that. And it's like what does the song need? Does this song need a synth? Does this song need drum programming? Does this song need a shitload of layers of vocals? Like, what does it need? Well, let's do it. Let's give the song what it needs to be the best song it can be. Not not worry about like what you know some forty five year old German hardcore kid is gonna think because it doesn't sound like when broke is easily fixed. You know what I mean? Shane, 100%. I think to like to add to that, um, sure, it's like not something. Uh, I I think first I want to say this. I remember when we were recording Arrivals and Departures and I was recording bass with Mark Trombino and I sort of said we were talking about like the breakdown of one of the songs and we we're talking about like whether or not we were going to like cut everything like kind of choke it and make it super heavy and tight or kind of like let it breathe a little more mm-hmm. and I think I like looked up on the wall and there was like a picture of Fugazi and I said well what would Fugazi do and Mark Trombino's response in an instant was they wouldn't write this fucking song. And like, I think about what you just said, like, what would sick of it all do? And it's like, yeah, but like Snapcase has done stuff like this, has had, you know, synth or programming and refused to say stuff like yeah, this. And yeah. like at Drive-In, Under Oath, Bring Me the Horizon. These are all bands that we're adjacent to over the course of our like 22 year career that like, why do we have to stay stuck in the 90s or something or the 80s or whatever, right? right? In the early 2000s. Like, well, the 80s evolving. has a lot of synth <laughs> well, and the 90s has a lot of the 90s notes. So we're kind sure, of- <laughs> sure. Right. But I just mean like specifically in a hardcore sense that like, I think that we've we've been able to evolve by getting stepping out of that like box of like, well, we're like a punk band or something, right? Yeah, totally. And I think there's a, there was a kind of interesting like history of when we came out like the fact that the band was started in 2000 not 99 like the year 2000 it was like this is the new millennium and like a lot of that 90s shit which obviously was of course influenced us like all of the Seattle bands and you know just like 90s alt alternative music that obviously was an influence but we were actively pushing against that we didn't want to sound anything like nirvana or soundgarden or pearl jam or 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 alice in chains or any of that shit that was like that was dead you know so we're starting here in 2000 it's like we're we're making new like new music like cutting edge new music at the time so i think now when something comes in with a note that like definitely would be used in a alt like a seattle band song I think my instinct is like, we don't do that. You know what I mean? Because of some old 
thought I had in my head, which isn't relevant anymore, but that's where this stems from. I think, you know what I mean? Totally. And I think we talk so much about this, um, around, you know, bleeds no more being a kind of turning point for Silverstein where like, you know, Richard McWalter who started the band, uh, with Josh would have never had a song like that. It's just like, we didn't do sort of double time or we didn't do that kind of a song. Mm. And then it's just like yeah. we did. And it, and it became a Silverstein sound. And I think that this is just a continuation of that, that like, what can, what can we define as a Silverstein song? And that's sort of what Paul Mark is saying and what his role is to just, he's just further stretching that, that uh, arena, you know? Yeah. It's a good point. If you wrote the song Paul Mark on this is how the wind shifts, there's no fucking way totally. that 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 this song would ever see the light of day no matter what we did to it it just wouldn't you know what i mean and and that doesn't mean it's it's not a great song it is it's you know it's just obviously we've evolved everything's evolved and that's and that's like it's kind of a beautiful thing 100 percent. in a way i sort of feel like um we're almost defending the song right now which like i do see the need for or I do see like why we have that impulse, but I do find it extremely freeing that. And I've said this for years that every time I do something that feels really crazy and then I, I present a demo for it and it's like, this will never work. The second you sing it, man, it just sounds like Silverstein. And it, yeah. it's yeah. the most, like it's the most freedom I've ever felt as a writer, knowing that there's kind of no line I can't cross because the way you're going to perform it is going to bring it home. Um, and so like, I, I knew that, you know, when we did the initial demo listen and we went through everything we had, that this one was going to stick out a little bit, but mm -hmm. retracking it and then putting you on it, it was like, it was going to fit it. Cause it, it's not far off the palette we used in say infinite or, uh, right. well, I mean, that's the best example where it's like, that song is very program heavy, it but it's, and I know you liked that one right away by I loved, contrast. I loved Infinite. I loved Infinite right away. When I heard the demo for Infinite, and I know we're talking, this is the wrong album, but I immediately, like, like we were, I wasn't even through, halfway through the demo, and I was like, this is the fucking first single. This song rips. And that's how I felt. And I still love this song. It's one of my favorite songs we've ever done. Me too. And it doesn't, but that's the thing. Like, I, I'm, maybe, maybe you guys might look at me as like a little bit like, oh, it's this guy's like, you know, a little set in his ways and he's like, loves, loves punk rock and whatever and doesn't like this or doesn't like that. But I know a good song when I hear a good song. And, it, and to me, it was like infinite right away. Like it didn't matter what the production was. That's an incredible song. You know what I mean? And like, not to say live like this isn't on that caliber because it might be, but it didn't grab me right away. Like infinite did, you know? Yeah. It's very fair. I mean, like there's, there is like an intangible, you can break down a song to it's like technical bones, but at the end of the day, there's mm -hmm. an intangible that like has to jive with you. And I, I fully yep. get that to reiterate. Like, I love this album mentality where it's just like, okay, well like you're not you as an artist or us as Silverstein, we don't have to be defined by every single, like it doesn't all have to fit so neatly into this thing that we define ourselves by or other people define us by. Like we can, and should like kind of feel liberated to make different musical and stylistic choices and feel comfortable and confident doing that, knowing that like, yeah, if your favorite Silverstein album is when broken is easily fixed, 
guess what? We didn't delete it from the internet, baby. We didn't destroy your copy. You can still listen to it. But like we we have to continue to try to grow and push ourselves because otherwise I can't tell you, dear listener, how fucking boring this would become if we just had to keep doing that every time. And you wouldn't like it either. I, I'm sorry to tell you. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I won't name bands, but there there are bands definitely that like kept making the same record over and over again. And it's almost like they've not paid attention to like what's happening in the world. Do you know what I mean? Like the other shit has come out and like there's a certain amount of evolution that needs to take place like naturally. Like I'm not saying like try like definitely I don't want to hear a band that's like, oh, what's the next trend? I'm going to do that. But we've always taken a natural approach to it to where like does does misery made me sound much different than a beautiful place to drown? Not really. Does Beautiful Voice Drown sound that much different than Dead Reflection? Maybe a little bit more. But then, like, you go back and back and back. How much different is our first record from our, our, our last? But we've taken the steps necessary. We've made a natural progression along each record That because that's honest. But if we only, if we were scared of every little step, then we would never, we, we would never have gotten here. Honestly, we'd never have made this many records. 100%. We didn't just put out a record that's like, oh, the 1975 is good now. Like, we're just going to do one of those. You know? And like, that yeah. was a big thing. We're just like, oh, 80s guitars are cool. We're doing 80s guitars only. Yeah. And you see bands you see bands do that. I mean, that's even worse. I mean, that's maybe even worse than making the same record over and again. Over and over again. I, don't I think know, it but is, yeah. Got, yeah, you got to be true to yourself. And that's, I think, one thing that we are. And we are not always going to agree every time we, we try something new. Like... There's going to be someone might obviously the person that brings it to the table thinks it's cool. The f- other four guys might be a little iffy on it to the point where, OK, maybe we need to dial this one back or maybe this isn't the time or whatever, you know. But at the end of the day, we're all pushing forward to what we want to achieve musically. You know, that's and that's if, if we ever don't do that, then that's a problem, too. You know. Yeah. Put me in the ground. Right. Throw the flowers. I actually want to bring up because so so there are like we're kind of talking about the different types of bands you can be and there's the natural progression band there's the (laughs) band that makes the same record every time there's the band that just trend hops and there is a fourth type which is extremely rare but I love a lot which is like what Daniel Romano does which is just he just kind of like invents a new character or whatever kind of like guy he wants to be and he'll do like a power pop record. And then the next record, he's like, I'm a cowboy now. And it's like, it's straight mm-hmm. up, like almost like costume theme stuff. But it's all, I mean, he in particular is such a good writer. And he, I think I 100% buy into every single record he's done. I know, Bill, you're a big fan. This is the attacking black guy, right? Yes. Yeah. He's like doing Graham Parsons and then he's like doing Bob Dylan and then he's doing Nick Lowe and then he's, he's you know, he's doing Serge Gainsbourg. Like he's just sort of picks a, and not just like someone to to emulate or to rip off or something, but just like a, a vibe or like a theme. And it's awesome. Yeah, no, there are, there are bands that, that don't make the same record twice. There, there are. And that's like, that's cool. I mean, I feel kind of bad for their fans, though. Like it's, you know, I mean, Cave-In was a little bit like that. When, when Cave-In all of a sudden we're like, we're like, we're not a metal band anymore. We're going to do this other thing. And then, you know, then we're like going to be super like they went from metal to space to i don't know kind of like indie rock then they went back then they went heavy again and like 
you know, that can be tough, but I respect it. If it's what you're feeling, if it's what you want to do, and Stephen Brodsky's an incredible musician, then great. But man, that's tough. You know, I love the I love the like radio rock record, and I think that like so did like thrice. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. Like I just yeah, think thrice that there's so it. much right. so so much stuff that like uh, that. No, I just mean like thrice like that Caven record. Oh yeah, antenna, right? You're talking about, and that like so much of I feel like the art like the artist in the ambulance or whatever wouldn't have existed without uh, without that record before it. You know. This speaks yeah. to my broader point of like the old records don't go away when you make a new one. And I think there it it can be beautiful as a fan of a, an artist to to really connect with one era and try to grow with them and fail at it. I don't think that should be seen as like a failure on the artist's side necessarily. It's just, OK, you as a fan didn't like that one, but the old one's still there. Like my favorite record of all time is Elvis Costello's My Aim is True. I may be like the one after it half as much and the one after that uh, half as much as that like they're it just changed so much and like i still respect him as an artist and i like those albums and i wouldn't turn them off but they're not my favorite Mm -hmm. and that's okay that's okay but sometimes it goes the other way where i didn't like a band's early work and then they make a big drastic change i'm like damn now you guys have found it this is what i'm talking about like to me thrice is like that like, I don't like early Thrice very much, but I love later Thrice. Maybe I'm in the minority. Interesting. You may be, but... I, I think that there's just something for everyone. And, like, Thrice is still very much an active band that's, like, you know, putting out records and they're selling out shows and they're doing... But, like, if you love Identity Crisis, then, like, you can still listen to it. And they're still going to play some of those songs. And, you know, play they're going to do it. They're going to do a a, a a 20-year anniversary for it eventually, right? Like, um, yeah. so it's, yeah, but... For you sure. think that if if they if they kept just making music like that, you're right that it would probably get a little bit stale and stagnant, and they wouldn't have the career uh, that they've had. You know. You imagine one of your friends has a kid, and they're like a really chill baby, and you're like, "This baby's awesome. I love this baby." And then 20 years later, you meet them, and you're like, "You suck now. You were way cooler as a baby." And you're just like, "Fuck <laughs> you, man. I just grew up. Like, I don't know." <laughs> that's the weirdest (laughs) analogy i you've ever made but um sure (laughs) what you're not a baby anymore what the fuck man exactly this is what i'm saying (laughs) uh all right on that note let's get to this demo um this demo is called i don't want to die 1.2 um the only demo that i think we have for this one uh let's rock it i think it's full song here we go Definitely a bit slower, right? Yeah, it feels like it. Final breath, take me home again. Cause I've got 
floor. I like that ending, actually. That's that's kind of cool. We sort of synthesized it with the the way it leads into misery. Like it's the same vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it totally is. Yeah, no, it's no, it's cool. That that it didn't change that much, really. Um, you know, the parts were kind of the same. There's one the the part I was talking about where you didn't do the '90s note was in that bridge or in the, like the you know near the end of the song before the last chorus. Mm. You like didn't go to the '90s note there, and I was like, oh, I like that. I like when you don't go to that. It's note. because <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but Sam Sam's big thing with this song early on was he thought the bridge lyric and melody should be the second verse, and so that's how the second uh. verse starts, and we changed the bridge to be. Uh, maybe like a chorus reprisal. I can't remember now. Right. Yeah. But so that that bridge, like gotta be a difference, is the way the first thing uh, Joe like nothing nowhere says. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, there really isn't a bridge. Right. Like there, there's kind of a just a space in in here, which I don't mind. I I think it gives the song a little room to breathe and gives it a little bit of a vibe. Yeah. I think there was some talk of maybe putting something in there. I don't know if we just weren't sure i sort of get why there's no bridge just from like compositionally the verses are long and what you might call the pre-chorus i remember there was some we had like naming the parts issues in the studio when we were talking about them we couldn't all agree yeah but in my mind like the verse and the pre-chorus are both really long but maybe to some people it would be a verse a chorus and then there's like a hook which would be what i think is the chorus the can't live like this part um right but i think for those for that reason just because there's all of those parts are presented in their entirety each time a whole new part for a bridge would feel like a lot of parts like a lot of long parts so i'm glad we didn't do something fresh i know what you mean uh yeah no i i thought the like with my final breath was a pre-chorus but i think you were calling it a chorus at some point i think sam and i had agreed to call it a chorus but yeah i do in retrospect like i would call that the pre-chorus yeah yeah and it doesn't matter what you call it it's you know it's totally part part two (laughs) part two but you know what i mean like it's it's very rare that we do an entire verse an entire pre-chorus and an entire chorus every time like we normally are trimming things so you get like half mm-hmm. of something but that this song doesn't do that and it just goes through the whole rotation partially probably because we got nothing nowhere on the track and also i remember we were writing those second verse lyrics together uh like maybe all of us i can't remember i know at least you and i were shane and yeah. i think we were getting like really fired up about the lyrical content and we liked how it rounded everything out so it was like okay the whole thing's got to be here yes yeah, and I think when you change the voice too, right? And Joe does the the part, then it helps it too. You know what I mean? It helps along, like it helps make it feel like, you know, I don't know, just just makes it feel a little bit more interesting. Um, and he killed it, and he's a great dude. And I thought, I thought it was really cool too how we brought in another voice and another perspective on the song, like almost feeling because this this theme was so universal for so many of us that it's like this is a guy from a different country has a totally different life experience that we did, but he, you know, it's like his take on it. I, I like that too. Um, similar to how, you know, Mike from Prada's on the song, you know, just talking about those feelings being like universal. I like that. I like that the feature made sense, you know, in that way. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Feature wise. Uh, we didn't write anything for anyone, right? Like everyone wrote their own lyrics. 
Well, no, we wrote this. We wrote this for Joe, but he changed it. He changed one line, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but uh, and then Andrew, Andrew, I wrote Andrew's part, but but Mike wrote his own, and uh, and, and Trevor, Trevor wrote did. his own, yeah. and they both were really really cool. And that, that's true for them to to be like, okay, this is my interpretation of what the song means. That is really really cool, and I think that that's that's an awesome way to do it. But regardless, I th- I think that that having these other voices is, is like for this song especially is 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 really cool so yeah it's it. massive i love joe's part i i think he sounds really cool and yeah it definitely brings some life to to that section and it didn't it sort of took the pressure off us production wise to like do too much because i think especially in a song that has this many instruments in the palette it's very easy to just go insane and like start mm-hmm. you know doing too much and just putting a fresh voice on it uh, was enough. You know, we, we didn't have to work too hard. Anything else to say about this one? It's acapella time. Acapella time, baby. Let's go. Uh, this will be an interesting one to hear. Where is the acapella track? It is right here. Here we go. Do you feel it slipping away? There's no meaning, just count the days while I waste away. And I never thought that I would lose a war with myself. I'm dying for a chance to put my weapons down. Fighting is a bitter pill when all you've got is time to kill. With my final breath. Take me home again Cause I've got nothing left I don't wanna die but I can't live like this Like this Wave the white flag, I'm at the end! I don't wanna die but I can't live like this There's gotta be a difference Between life and existence Something missing And I never thought karma could find her way out I'm trapped in the center of a carousel Everyone is standing still And all I got is time to kill With my final breath Take me home again Cause I got nothing left I'm actually really excited for this last chorus because I don't know what the harmonies are, but I really like them when I listen to the song. <laughs> well, we're about to find out. A little bit of a break here. With the final path, take me home again. 
I think I, that one might have been in the demo. The guitar? No, the guitar wasn't in the demo, Shane. The guitar? <laughs> I don't know why I left this in, but this was just, I think it's, the guitar is so out of tune, too, in it's this sick. part. So it's charming. On this chord right here. Ooh. <laughs> well, there it is. You like this acapella. Um, you were saying about the harmony? Oh, yeah, the... The one that I really like is right when the halftime hits, like, can't live like this. It's something like oh, that. Yeah. It's really neat. It always reminded me of Boys Night Out, who I love. I don't know why, because I'm not sure that they would have done that necessarily. But <laughs> something about those notes in that sequence makes me think of Boys Night Out, who I love. I, I think from the, you know, there's not a bridge, but the the part that acts as the bridge uh is when like the dance beat kind of ceases to exist in the song and there's that clean uh just kind of spacey atmospheric part that gives you a little bit of a, a break from that driving uh nature of the song from from that part on uh and when the chorus comes back and it's a little more like halftime straight ahead yeah that much of the song feels exactly like something that we would do at, at any point in our career you know you talk about being scared off the song initially when you heard it i think that the dancey stuff is uh really maybe what does that to you um but i can't help but think back to like something yeah. like uh uh if you could see into my soul that has a very dancey you were gonna say that i was it was in my head just now i knew you were gonna say yeah. it um, so it's not totally foreign for us to, to incorporate something like that, though it is not something that we do often. Yeah. And I mean, the, you, the nineties note was the other real stumbling block for you, but, uh, you know, people are wearing bucket hats and baggy pants again, man. I don't know. It, it's all <laughs> coming together. And, uh, you know, as, as we felt that it fit later in the record, uh, both in lyrical content and so that it was not. Uh, an off-putting vibe too early on. Uh, <laughs> we, we we try and tuck it back there, and uh, we deliver the record to the label, and they identify it as one of the songs that they want to use as a as a single. Sure, not the lead-off single because we don't want to freak anyone out, but it's the the last single that comes out <laughs> right before the record comes out. So it's like, you yeah. know, kind of showcasing the the breadth of this record and how how much variety there is on it. Because this record has such variety, a song like Die Alone and a song like this existing in the same place, it it, uh, yeah. it really allows us to, to push in both directions as far as what we are able to do. And uh, just, yeah. I, I love the way it has all come together. Boom. Well, well put, man. And you're right. I mean, there's a crazy amount of diversity in this record, but there's a crazy amount of diversity in our band. There always has been, you know? I think that's part of why I've never been bored. You know, I can do like with my voice, I can do everything. And, and musically there's not a lot of, you know, the only limitations we had were like self-imposed and are kind of stupid. And now it's like, we could do literally anything now. And it's pretty liberating and it feels pretty good. So I think, um, you know, as we talk about, you know, well, we already talked about die alone, but you know, uh, even a song like misery, that's like, that's completely other, uh, the other spectrum too. So, you know, it's it's uh, you make some really great points, Josh. 
Thanks for having me on the end of the podcast. <laughs> he just saves it all to the end. He's like, pent up aggression. I got so much to say. Let me at him. I want to say <laughs> uh, sneaky insider knowledge says you got to get to track 11 of a Silverstein record because Whiplash was track 11, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm, it was. It bangs pretty good. Uh, yeah. Track 11 on, uh, or I guess I shouldn't say track 11, the penultimate song. Second last second song. Second last yeah. song. There's lots of gems there. The second last song on Discovering the Waterfront. Oh, no, I don't like that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some people do, though. So weird. Why? Uh, wish I could forget you. Pretty good song. Right. Underrated is, Silverstein so I, song. Is that's what I was record. thinking of. Is my was my favorite Silverstein song growing up. Uh, there's um, more. Hero loses every day is a great yeah. song on Shipwreck in the Sand, and uh, Je Me Souviens. That's become a fan yeah. favorite too. So there you go. Pay attention to the second last track on the album. It's where we put the one we're the least sure about, but it's always good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's not true. We were really sure about Whiplash. I, I knew Whiplash banged. I th- I mean, although we did write like 18 different courses for it. Yeah. Um, but another thing, we don't want to make records that are too top heavy. Like we want to put good shit at the end of the records. We yeah. don't want to, you know what I mean? Like it's it's always been important to have some songs near the end of the record that are like awesome, you know, like, so that's something we think about. Yeah, that makes sense. Live like this, baby. That's how we're doing it. Love like this. I'm going to cut that out. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on that note, on that note, we, uh, we will say goodbye and thank you again for listening to Silverstein, the podcast, more coming at you. Lots more stuff to get to. We got, you know, tracks like misery. We talked about, uh, don't wait up. And of course the altar slash Mary, which is going to be a really interesting episode. So, uh, make sure you're subscribed, hit that button wherever you're listening to on And uh, we will see you next week. Can't wait. Josh, they can't see you waving. Josh and I are, yeah, we're waving, but it's not, (laughs) there's no video. So. Spoiled. We're spoiled these days. If I wave hard enough, can you hear it? Yes. (laughs) Yes, actually, (laughs) though.
The guitar? So that wasn't it.